Hi, you're listening to the Duty of Care podcast, a podcast produced by the Faculty of Architecture and the Built Environment of the Delft University of Technology. This podcast is sponsored by the Delft Design for Values platform, the TU Delft platform discussing values for engineering and design. I'm Roberto Rocco, Associate Professor of Spatial Planning and Strategy at the Delft University of Technology. In 2019, the European Union launched its European Green Deal, aiming to make Europe carbon neutral by 2050. We all know the transition to a carbon neutral economy is urgent, but will it be fair? Past transitions have always produced winners and losers, with the losing groups often facing unemployment and poverty, with dire consequences for social cohesion and social justice. Therefore, an essential dimension of the European Green Deal is the concept of just transition, that is, a transition to a carbon-neutral economy that is fair and inclusive to all, leaving no one behind. Sustainable, fair and inclusive urbanization plays a key role in this endeavor. With those ideas in mind, we organized a series of online events and courses that address planning and designing cities and communities for the just transition. By bringing together expertise from spatial planning, urban sustainability and resilience, resilience engineering, ethics of resilience and multi-actor systems, we want to discuss the values in social technical transitions and urbanization, namely issues connected to distributive, procedural, and restorative spatial justice, as well as citizen participation, democracy, and sustainability, understood in its three essential dimensions, social, economic, and environmental sustainability. In doing so, we wish to address the interactions between design and values with an emphasis on operationalizing spatial justice through inclusive vision-making and by using societal conflicts stemming from the transition as springboards to dialogue. So, we came up with the idea of this podcast. We wish to discuss and exchange ideas with academics, practitioners and students of the built environment to plan and design for the just transition with a robust understanding of the entanglement between spatial justice and sustainability. Today we have with us Caroline Newton. Caroline is an Associate Professor of Spatial Planning and Strategy at the Faculty of Architecture and the Built Environment of the TU Delft. She's an architect, urban planner and political scientist. She holds a PhD in Social Geography from the University of Leuven in Belgium. Her work and research focus on the social-spatial dimensions of design and on critical spatial practices in Europe and in the Global South. This session gives a definition of spatial justice and explores the concept critically. Caroline, the floor is yours. Yeah, what, what I uh, want to do tonight is just mention a few points that I think are important to think about when we want to discuss issues of spatial justice and injustice. 
And I want to start with this idea of the American dream. And the term of the American dream is, uh, it was first used in a book uh, that I've put there by James uh, Truslow Adams, who's a writer and an historian. And it was published in 1931. The book was called The Epic of America. And for him, the American dream is the dream of a land in which life should be better and richer and fuller for everyone. It's a dream of social order in which each man and each woman shall be able to attain to the fullest stature of which they are inattainable capable. That's uh, the quote from the book. And be recognized by others for what they are, regardless of their harshest circumstances or of birth or position. So although Adams is actually looking for values and a good quality of life, he also so, saw that quite rapidly the, the idea eroded. And so today we often see that the, when we talk about the American dream, it is believed that anyone, regardless of where they were born or what class they were born into, they can attain their own version of success. And, and very often success is being sort of uh, uh, used as a, as a synonym for being very wealthy. And that in a society where upward mobility is possible for everyone. And so the American dream is achieved through sacrifice, through, through risk-taking, and very importantly, through hard work rather than by chance. Of course, uh, I think we all know that this idea of the American dream is at least a bit naive, at least. <laughs> uh, because we know that conditions in which we are born and raised do make a difference and that these conditions are sometimes able to give you a head start in life, while they can also drastically limit your possibilities. And that is why it's so important to talk about spatial justice or to talk about space in relation to justice. So before we dive deeper into the concept, I just want to highlight that most of the things I will talk about tonight are based on the work of Edward Soja a postmodern critical political geographer and an urban theorist. He critically analyzes space in its relation to the social world, and he tries to understand the spatiality of justice and injustice. He does so not merely because of a theoretical interest, but also in order to feed activ activism and to see how this uh, can support social change. So Socha reminds us that inequalities have always been intrinsically related to space. We all know that cities grew by rivers or at crossroads, and they didn't suddenly appear in the middle of a desert or a forest. Those specific variables linked with the location's geography determine whether that location has greater or, or less uh, development potential. So in the, in the social science, uh, we have observed what we call a spatial turn. And the spatial turn is actually a paradigm shift that occurred in the late 1980s. It then became increasingly clear that being human is not only defined by time, like we are born, we uh, live and we grow old, we eventually die, but also a spatial thing. Until the second half of the 19th century, space was merely a canvas, a container in which we as humans were active. But today we really acknowledge that space is no longer just conceptualized as this container, but space is a social construct. I will come back to that later. And I've put some names there of some authors like Foucault, Michel Foucault and Peter Stoterdijk. 
And these authors, amongst others, have argued that more than before, we are living in an age where space is actually overtaking time as a sense-making category. During modernism, time was the central element. Today, in let's say a, a postmodern world, it has become an accessory to space. The centrality of space as an organizing element is clear in the wide availability of concepts to speak about spatial relations, from Deleuze Rizome to Spivak's margin and center. And following uh, Lefebvre and Foucault, Socha argues that space is the third ontological category, next to the temporal and the social. Um, today, when we are really experiencing things like social distancing, we can physically experience that all human activities are really taking place and very literally occur in particular places and spaces. And what we also observe is that very often they tend to cluster and they seek proximity. And, and that, is, that is crucial when we are going to discuss uh, issues of spatial justice and injustice. So depending on where you are, for example, when you have to spend uh, or when you have to stay in uh, quarantine, the experience can be very boring, very difficult, or maybe enjoyable. If you can sit in a nice garden um, and, and just relax and sit there and, and wait until your quarantine period is over. So this is a very practical experience uh, of, of uh, the effects of, of uh, spatial inequalities. So I already mentioned this uh, importance of, of thinking of speci spatiality as an ontological uh, category and being not as people, not only social beings or temporal beings, but really also spatial beings. And that sort of urges us to think uh, or to apply a critical perspective that helps better to understand how cities are uh, currently and also in the past have been uh, developing in a very sort of unequal way. And I, I already mentioned uh, this social production of space. So it's really uh, important to understand that uh, space is not this objective uh, container. And um, to elaborate a bit on that and to try to explain that, I want to use the work of uh, um, Lefebvre. And in 1974, I think I put it here. Um, and no, that's another one. But uh, in 1974, he writes the uh, La production de l'espace or the production of space. And he argues that space is a very complex social construction. As I said, not something abstract, not something neutral. And I think that Lefebvre's approach is really a very good uh, framework to understand how uh, space is, is a complex thing to understand. And I want to point to the, the little um, three circles that are um, intertwined. And so Lefebvre says, you have to understand space in a, in a triad, space as conceived space, as perceived space, and as lived space. And I'll briefly explain what is meant with conceived space with, and with all three. But uh, conceived space, there you see uh, the little map there is uh, the extension plan of, uh, of Amsterdam. And it's a map that when we are 
working as planners or architects, we immediately understand what is what is going on. We see even when it's so small, you see red areas, you see green areas. You know that these red areas are the living spaces, the green um, are uh, open. Uh, spaces. So these conceived spaces, Lefebvre explains, are those spaces that have been des designed, let's say, or that have been created by, by professionals, by experts, by people like, like us, planners, architects. And so in the representation of space, in how they represent these spaces, they also sort of uh, exert their, their knowledge and their expertise. So the, the kind of space that is produced from this perspective is very often technical and very often difficult to understand for ordinary people. And more than sort of explaining space as something neutral, which is often thought of, if, if, if people talk about a map, they often present it as something neutral. Here is the map of the city and, and it shows where everything is, but it is not neutral. It is infused with the, the knowledge and the views and the ideas of the people who made it. And we can uh, ex explore that uh, further. Uh, no, just one thing, uh, 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 are, uh, are the maps supposed to pop up or? No. Uh, no, 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 okay, okay. No. Um, <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just spending a lot of time <laughs> uh, on this. Uh, because I also want to talk about the other two categories, the perceived and the lived space. And with the perceived space, the fair means it's sort of uh, the spatial practice of people. Um, depending on the kind of spatial organization, the morphology of the, of the space, the physicality of space, the material design of, of, of the uh, elements, they impact how people can use the space. If, if, uh, if you live in a, a development with all roads that, that have dead ends, yeah, you will not easily be able to crisscross the development. You'll always have to follow the pathways. And then thirdly, and for me, a quite interesting one is the lift, uh, uh, the lift space. And what uh, Lefebvre means with the lift space are actually those uh, spaces, although very real and very material, they are also um, sort of infused with meaning that people give uh, to them with certain Im imaginaries and emotions and experiences and so on. So it's important to understand, to have a full understanding of space, to look at it from all these different perspectives. And that will help you to have a better understanding of how people make sense of their surroundings. Um, so I, I think that it's a way to try to um, also understand different ways of how injustices play out. As a planner, you can design certain things and uh, regulations for the development of certain areas. But also in the very practical everyday experience, space can create opportunities or limit, uh, limit uh, possibilities. So in essence, space uh, matters on, on different scales. And so I'll prob I have probably been talking a bit in an abstract sense. So let's try to make it more concrete and use an example. Um, so all of these maps show the percentages of people who live in extreme poverty. And we can start at a, at a global scale, and then you will see 
that uh, in, in this uh, in this map, especially uh, the African continent, sort of is prominently uh, there, and that in in Europe it it all looks uh, quite good. Uh, very little people living in extreme uh, poverty. And then you can zoom in and you can take a closer look at a different scale, at the scale of Europe. And then it, you see already some, some nuances. And you see, for example, that the Netherlands, it seems to be a very a place with 0% um, poverty. And then you zoom into the Netherlands and then you see that, again, there are pockets that are... Uh, uh, jumping out, and then you zoom to Rotterdam, to the city, and there again you see that there are pockets where there is um, extreme poverty. So what what you see uh, rising are uh, patterns of of inequality, and these patterns are closely linked to injustices that are uh, embedded in space, or as consequences of the unequal this spatial distribution of resources, or the uneven access to these resources. So let's use uh, an example again. Um, and what you see there is, a, is an image of, uh, or a map of the city of, uh, of Cape Town, um, where, you, where you see that there is a concentration of, of poverty and unemployment of crime of poor services in what is called the Cape Flats area, which as you probably all know, under uh, the apartheid regime in South Africa, different population groups were uh, uh, divided and, and, and also spatially segregated according to, to color. Um, so if you were white, you were, would live somewhere else than if you would be black or if you would be colored. Um, and very importantly, and a point I want to stress, uh, and I will probably stress again later is that once you sort of anchor certain things in space, it's very difficult to change. So the apartheid regime um, that lasted until 1994, they deliberately segregated people across the country, but also within the cities. And how did they do that? On the, uh, the bottom image, it's, it's just a picture and you see a road and you see a railway and you also see two uh, neighborhoods on each side of this railroad and this road. And those are one of the areas is uh, a white middle-class area. The other area is a colored, uh, a colored area. And so in order to make sure that people did not meet, you put very strong infrastructure in between. You put a road and you put a railway and to make the railway safe, you put fences. So you, you, you sort of spatially embed uh, a, an infrastructure that is made to segregate uh, people. And of course, the, the example of South Africa is, is uh, very extreme, but you also see it in, of course, in, in other places uh, where uh, people are segregated in, in space. Uh, and if you live in certain uh, different areas, of course, uh, you have access to certain resources or you don't have access to other uh, resources. So um, when we talk about spatial justice or spatial injustice, the first important aspect is the distributional one. Um, if you want to achieve a more spatially just city, 
So we, we will need to think about this distribution, the distribution of opportunities and resources, but also the possibilities to access them. And of course, that is one aspect, but thinking about the distribution alone is, is not enough. We also need to think about the processes that are underlying certain spatial outcomes. So what I, what I mean here is that we need to think of how the design and the planning process has been shaped. Who has been included? Whose concerns have been addressed? Um, and, uh, and understanding these underlying processes, especially afterwards, is, is uh, often very diff difficult. But I think it's, it's important to expose these kind of uh, um, unjust practices. And most familiar shaping forces um, of, of locational and spatial discrimination will probably uh, immediately understand its, its class, its race, uh, and, and gender, for example. So um, we see that in, in our urban systems, a lot of decision-making often happens in a way that it's beneficial for the already stronger groups, while the poor or the already fragile groups are often unequally affected by the policy measures. And a, an easy example is, is the, the corona measures, I think, wherever we, we are at the moment, so wherever we live, we, we know that the measures that were implemented by governments have been uh, affecting the more fragile people uh, unequally um, uh, strong, let's say. And spatial planning um, is, is a field that unfortunately has been um, really evolved into an neoliberal practice, uh, often focusing on enabling development, enabling investments, and so on. So um, city use large-scale redevelopment, neighborhood upgrading, iconic architecture uh, to compete with other cities to attract international companies, more investors, and high-income residents. So our space very often has become nothing more than a product. And the value of that product is influenced by its location, it's expressed in money, and determining the possibilities uh, for future developments. Other characteristics such as air quality, noise, or smell are intrinsically linked to these locations and often enforce the attached value. Those living in the more affluent urban neighborhoods often enjoy less nuisance from noise or smell or better air quality and have better access to services. The more fragile and vulnerable groups, for example, of homeless or urban poor, have to settle in unhealthy areas that suffer from sensorial disadvantages, uh, amongst other disadvantages. And these conditions affect the physical and mental health of already vulnerable population groups. Edward Soja has explained that being differently located in space can have deeply oppressive and exploitative effects, especially when maintained over longer periods of time and rooted in per persistent divisions in society, such as those based on race, class, and gender. The additional effect of these unjust embodied experience impact vulnerable groups' possible emancipation. Also, they influence the city's livability and the attractiveness of urban life as a whole. 
today in a, in a time when cities are still looked at as sort of the, the um, solutions for all ills of climate change, for example, and we, we all go and live in cities much denser, we preserve open spaces, for example, to give an, a sort of uh, an, an easy uh, example, um, shows that it, it's really important to to think about how we are going to, if this is going to be the solution, then how are we going to organize this in such a way that it can provide a good life for all. And I think it's really important that if we want to move forward as a society, we move forward with everyone. We, we, we don't only move forward with the strong and the rich. Thus, what, what we need is a city that is able to create opportunities for all these groups, for all the inhabitants. And if we want to do that, we, um, we need engaged professionals who use spatial justice intentionally as a leverage to transition towards a just society. So that means that we need to understand what spatial justice is we need to understand that spatial justice involves a fair and equitable distribution in space of socially valued resources and opportunities to use them. We have to acknowledge that social processes shape the spatiality of specific ge uh, geographies of justice or injustice, and that spatial justice needs urban dwellers to be able to participate openly and fairly in all the processes um, producing urban space. And I think that when we use spatial justice intentionally as a leverage to a transition uh, to this uh, just city, that we stand a chance. And why do I think that is? Because as I said, once a certain organization is embedded in, in, in space, it's difficult to change it. But the other way around, it also means that if we are aware of this fact that you have spatial iner inertia, and we intentionally work with this, we can also embed opportunities in space. So therefore, instead of going along with developers and uh, investors and their dreams and demands, I think that's personally, it's our moral duty to examine how our spatial interventions can also create opportunities for all people to appropriate the city in an integrated way. This lecture was originally recorded for the Manifesto for the Just City workshop, organized in partnership with several schools, the Institute of Housing and Urban Development Studies of the Erasmus University in Rotterdam, the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, the Winston-Salem State University in North Carolina, and a number of universities who took up this exercise as a class exercise notably Morgan University in Baltimore and the Cape Peninsula University in Cape Town, South Africa. This event was organized by me, Caroline Newton, also from TU Delft, Hugo Lopez, Professor Russell Smith from Winston-Salem University, Carolina Luneta from IHS in Rotterdam, and Professor Faranak Miraftab from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. This podcast is produced by Roberto Rocco and Hugo Lopez. Music by Hugo Lopez and Pablo Teixeira. Sound edition by Hugo Lopez. The Duty of Care podcast is sponsored by the Delft Design for Values Institute, the portal for Design for Values research, education outreach, and co-creation at Delft University of Technology. 
advancing knowledge, methods, and best practices in the area of Design for Values. The Duty of Care podcast is sponsored by the Delft Design for Values Institute, the portal for Design for Values research, education, outreach, and co-creation at Delft University of Technology, advancing knowledge, methods, and best practices in the area of Design for Values. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple Music, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and if you want to learn more about spatial justice and our duty of care towards the planet and each other, don't forget to hit subscribe. See you next time!